It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Locked On Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, Darvin Ham wants to maximize Anthony Davis defensively. What does that look like and what does it do for the team? That's next on Locked On Lakers. You are Locked On Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, sometimes on weekends. But no matter how you get your podcast or where you get your podcast, Andy, it's never, this one's never going to be behind a paywall. We're never going to charge you, listener, a dime uh, to, to get this thing. Whether Or you can get it on YouTube, Locked On Lakers on YouTube. Uh, that's where you go to see the podcast and often get access to it before the audio product is live. So that's another advantage of subscribing there and getting your alerts and all that. Want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. So uh, Demar Derozan has been talking again about thinking he was going to be a Laker, like. It's just not like people don't want to hear you talking about that, DeMar DeRozan, because the the Laker that ended up here didn't turn out well. Please stop torturing Lakers fans, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, LeBron James is adding to his growing portfolio of professional sports franchises that he owns. Uh, We'll try to get to that before the end of the show, but let's start here, Andy. Uh, Anthony Davis is uh, was talking a little bit on with this within Wednesday's practice, right? About yes. uh, how Darvin Ham is deploying a new uh, a new system and kind of you know obviously new terminology and all that, um, but he's really trying to take advantage of Anthony Davis. Uh, the biggest thing that he's got him doing right now, he's playing center field. Yeah, um, the way AD described it during that practice was quote It's more of a Milwaukee system where they have the bigs back in the paint for me. I'm more up on the ball. Let me affect the play. So that's the biggest difference for me. It's something I'm trying to transition to, not helping as much, letting the guys on the ball do their thing, staying out of the play when it's not my assignment. Um, Darvin then noted that you know there there is going to be what they call the red, which is their terminology for a switching package. But he just talking about this um, and, and AD's ability to just protect the paint. He said, I mean – just look at his ability to get back. He can do that, protect the rim. He can also get up and move his feet. We'll definitely have a package in our pick and roll defense where it requires us to red, you know, switch. And we're more than comfortable with switching him onto smaller players. So they're not looking to completely, you know, take away that diversity. Turn him into just a drop center, drop coverage center against right. the pick and roll. He's not going to become Brooke Lopez, you know, just thinking about comps for what Darvin had defensively in Milwaukee. But at the same time, though, what it does not seem they're looking to do is having Anthony Davis be a full-time Swiss Army knife. You know what I mean? Like where where he's sort of that do-it-all guy defensively all game. Like they're going to be picking and choosing some of the spots where you see him 
acting as much defensively as a guard as he would a big man. It's, I mean, I, I, the d- defensive concepts are complicated for the people who have to go out and execute them. Um, you know, guys who live in in the NBA and have to go out and do these things, and there are enormous subtleties to what they're uh, what these schemes uh, get into, and and all of that. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am a you know an expert in breaking down defensive film. What I what I just think is is always hard with somebody like Davis. You talk about that sort of Swiss Army knife capability is you know there are certain things he's better at than others if you break down the statistical stuff i saw Cranjus, our, our friend tim at underscore nba um talking about anthony davis's defense via spectrum against drop coverage versus other things not as good there versus out on the perimeter all that stuff he's still pretty good at all of it and he can be dominant uh at times you don't want to put yourself in a position where you have to make him do everything. And so I think one of the things that will be interesting to watch is why, like, because I do think it is a real challenge to be constantly recovering, you know, helping, you know, closing out all these other things on the perimeter and doing like the really amazing stuff that AD can do. Um, But it is very taxing. And it is very difficult for a guy, especially who's doing a lot of work on the other end, and a guy who really, really needs to be on the floor. And so there's the the question to me of how do you maximize Anthony Davis and his defensive ability in literally the, the most effective way to maximize the Lakers' defense? But how do you also do it in a way that balances to get the maximum out of AD? Because you can't get that maximum defense if he's not there. Yeah. I mean, that's... Look, that's the number one thing with everything AD, no matter what offensive or defensive scheme the Lakers are going to be implementing this season. If if he's not out there on a regular basis as a healthy version of himself, I mean, this is all, you know, cocktail party conversation. Like, none of it actually matters. You know what I mean? Have you ever like been this- to a cocktail party where you discussed uh, the merits of Anthony Davis and drop coverage versus, say, you know, a more aggressive switching pick and roll defense? I mean, I would say I've what been to... What kind of to, parties are you attending? I would say that if you consider beers to be cocktails and beers being served at said parties, and some of uh, the people that I know enjoy talking about basketball, and, and Brian, you will attest to this, because of the profession that we're in, anywhere we go, people just on demand want us to talk sports. You Met know, a guy, the guy I was getting, uh, I was filling up, my gas tank today, California. I got a refinery problem, by the way. Uh, gas has shot up about a dollar a gallon in the last four days, I think. Um, but anyway, thanks, I, Biden. I got myself one of these big thirsties at the gas station, and met a, a man in the uh, in there who said, "You're a Kemen." I think he called me a Kemenity brother, but I knew who he meant. And so that 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 happened to me uh, this very afternoon, Andy, where we were out and, and meeting the people. Right. He invited so me to a cocktail party. Right. But the point being, though, I have been to, I think, what could be broadly <laughs> considered a cocktail party where people have asked me to talk about sports, not necessarily. I was Anthony just thinking of that level of detail. Cover. That's all. Here, here's the other thing about it, though. It's like. The, the, Screw the, you I, for not believing me, man. <laughs> I think the I think the. I, broadly speaking, would you agree with this? The Lakers are. From a personnel standpoint, I'm still not convinced they're going to be good defensively, 
But I do think they are better set up to be good this year versus last year. I think if you take a look at the personnel, and Damian Jones is clearly better defensively, you know, you know, potentially defensively than anybody they had last year at the center position. Uh, Thomas Bryant's not going to be worse. Um, and, you know, you look at it adding Troy Brown, who at least has a, a little bit of a reputation on that side of the ball. None should help them. Schroeder can help them. Uh, Beverly will definitely help them. Walt Toscano Anderson will help. Yep. I, how they should be better. Would you agree? Like, you know, as long as every single game, uh, the opposing team's best offensive wing is either hurt or getting load management. <laughs> I, well, I mean, look, all joking aside. Yes, I do think they are better equipped. It's just, there's that obvious hole in, in their defensive integrity, or at the very least, the, the push pull about what do you do with somebody like, JTA or Troy Brown, who that's, have that's, much more think, of a defensive yeah. profile, but you wonder what are we giving up offensively with those guys out there? Or, you know, how much wing defense does LeBron play? Does Austin Reeves, who noted he's now up to 210 pounds, which means he put on 13 pounds, Brian, of offseason muscle. So that falls neatly there into is, yeah, the Austin Reeves. Austin Reeves. <laughs> That's uh, him right there. Falls neatly into the 10 to 15 pounds of offseason muscle that we love to hear about guys putting on. Also, too, it gets into the question of AD and how often he would be used on you know, an opponent's best wing scorer because we've yeah. seen in the and past. And Pat Beverly. Let's talk about that after the break because, and I have a couple, of, I have an Anthony Davis question that I thought of kind of on my way home today. Um, before we were recording that I just want to kind of throw at you and see what you think. Um, and But like this question of individual game defense versus like what is sustainable over the course of the year, when you particularly when you talk about how the Lakers are going to guard wings, is one of the bigger question marks I think the Lakers have. So let's do that next. Lockdown Lakers brought to you by BetOnline, BetOnline.net, your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest Football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest, easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. But also, of course, this is the podcast you're tuning in for NBA. You want to get ahead of the 2023 season, lay down some early action. The Lakers getting 22 to 1 odds right now to win the championship if you think they are not getting enough respect right now or if nothing else you know just not even giving getting consideration as a surprise team get your bet in now because 22 to 1 is a really Trust nice me, payout. Bet Online wants you to put that money in as fast as you possibly can. Yes they do. Uh also oh, Darvin oh. Ham Darvin Ham getting uh, 18 to 1 odds for coach of the year. So head to the website today, use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action, bet online where the game starts. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. 
getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. The Lakers, I think, Andy, game to game, are capable of finding players who can guard wings. I mean, LeBron, when he is fully engaged and, you know, energized and whatever, has the ability to still defend. He can do it. Um, you know, Anthony Davis is perfectly comfortable switching on to, to longer, you know, to wings and can cause major trouble for those guys um, and, and all of that. And, you know, you have a couple other guys, you know, they've talked about Pat Beverly as, as guarding up, so to speak. And, you know, Bet. You know, Beverly himself has, has expressed no qualms about, uh, you know, guarding people as large as Kevin Durant and, and all of these things. None of these are great ideas from a sustainability standpoint. We spent a lot of time in the first segment noting that you need to construct a defense that is both uh, maximizes Anthony Davis's ability to create a real defensive kind of core for the Lakers. And, you know, you build that around AD because he is a transformational defensive player. You also need one that maximizes his ability to stay on the floor. And those two schemes may not be exactly the same thing. You need to keep LeBron on the floor. Um, having him defend the other team's best wing defender all night is not the best way to do it. Um, Pat Beverly misses is 6-1 and misses 35 games a year. So... That, that question of what can the Lakers do game to game versus what they can do sustainably over the course of a season that you kind of alluded to in the first segment, I think is that that is that's a really hard challenge for Darvin because it impacts the rotation. It impacts, you know, how you can which guys you can use and when and it impacts the number of games you can probably win over the course of a season. Well, I mean, like I said before, to some degree, um, Again, that question of what Troy Brown Jr. and Juan Scano Anderson can bring either offensively in terms of the actual points they generate themselves or things that they do to help keep the offense running. Like, for example, Juan Scano Anderson is a very good ball mover. And mm -hmm. if he can serve as, you know, in certain respects, kind of what they were looking for. I would say from Trevor Ariza last season, you know, I mean, not even like best case scenario from Trevor, but just somebody who can kind of fit into what you're doing offensively without getting in the way and hopefully contribute. I think that had been some of the hope for him until the, the health issues surfaced and just became obvious physically the guy was cooked or even like a very poor man's version of Draymond Green. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? And, and I think it is very. It, right, but it could be instructive that JTA has spent a few years seeing what Draymond does up close. And I know JTA thinks of himself as a glue guy, not just in the locker room, but on the court. And he's, somebody, he's got a bit of a front court version of you know Austin Reeves. They have similar right. qualities in that right, regard. Exactly. Or you know, for that matter, somebody like Austin Reeves, like A, how much can he actually guard up? But you know, how much will he be able to contribute offensively? Is the three-point shooting going to improve? Because he is thought of as much more of a three-point shooter than he actually is, uh, you know, white guys. But it's also, too, I think, in terms of the taxing nature of this on AD and, and that balance of kind of unleashing AD versus thinking the full full season picture, 
it's important to remember some of what he would be asked to do is going to be dictated by the position that he's playing. Mm-hmm. And the Lakers brought in two centers. Who's playing Thomas next Bryant. to him? All the, yeah, all those combinations. Right. Thomas, right. Thomas Bryant. And, yeah, Thomas Bryant, Damian Jones. Th- those guys were brought into play. You know what I mean? Like they, you've talked about this a lot. And I think you're right. The the Lakers really upgraded their center position um, this year, whether by design or because that's where they could get the best bang for their buck going after veteran minimum guys. Well, also too, like especially compared to last year, literally by picking two different centers, they, they were almost automatically going to upgrade because. Sure. I mean, I, I especially when you look back on it, and I think people had a little bit higher hopes for Dwight, although the the warning signs were there in Philly. I mean, they were there, and we pointed them out before the season started. Um, it's still, you know, it, he wasn't very effective, and he was still way better than DeAndre Jordan. The Lakers had, I mean, a, a comically unplayable pair of centers last year. Like it would have been almost impossible for them to pick two guys sure, but they, that were that were worse. But they and also so might not have they upgraded in a significant way, not just by getting two different centers, but actually upgraded into guys who are not all stars, but are very playable rotation caliber guys, if especially if used, you know, kind of you know, in 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 the most effective way. Um, so I really like what they did. It's one of the reasons I, I'm annoyed at the idea that they might try to play all 16 of their guards because definitionally it means less time for a positional strength like center where I think they could get a lot out of Thomas Bryant if he's fully recovered, uh, where I think they can get a lot out of Damian Jones who shot 95% his first day with the Lakers. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, those guys, those guys bring very, very different skill sets offensively. You know, Damian, mm-hmm. Damian Jones is obviously a pure rim threat, you know, a rim running threat, a lob threat, but he can be extremely effective in that role. Thomas Bryant, the hope is that he can regain that form pre-injury where he didn't necessarily shoot threes at a volume, but he shot him at a pretty good clip. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at some of their numbers defensively, like Damian Jones is much more of a pure shot blocker than, than Thomas Bryant, but some of Thomas Bryant's numbers either around the lane defensively or just like from six feet or in, like the overall team effect, they're not bad. No, he's you know, a, like, he's a he's a he's not just a three point shooter. He's a pretty good, well rounded offensive center. And, and and he is, you know, it's funny. We saw him as a rookie, and I remember I, I said to you during media day, it was interesting to me just to hear Thomas Bryant now talk in his mid twenties versus the one season when he was with the Lakers. Not because I necessarily remember conversations with Thomas Bryant or anything like that. It's just interesting to hear him sound so much more like an adult than he did as kind of like a kid, rightly, when he's with the Lakers. Like he sounds like a very mature player now, talking Mm -hmm. about basketball, talking about his approach to the game, all that stuff. And, you know, they're they're different players, like looking up some of their numbers, like as you would expect, you know, Damian Jones is considerably better defending like or the overall effect in transition because he's way more athletic than Thomas Jones. You would expect he'd be able to get back better. You know, he's in certain respects better at covering, I think a wider variety of spots on the floor defensively, but he's way worse in terms of percentiles 
defending a role man in pick and roll defense than than Thomas Bryant. Neither one of them is a good rebounder, and that might be a generous way of putting it. You, I'd say they're both pretty lacking on the boards on you know particularly the defensive glass for their position. But they are, as you said, playable centers, and they they have strengths on both sides of the ball and. Their ability to be out there is going to dictate in certain respects some of what you ask for Anthony Davis just in terms of, I think, what he would do positionally, defensively, like, you know, as a four versus as a five, but also, too, how much ground he would actually have to cover and how much, you know, running from 20 feet back to the basket he would need to do because nobody else is doing a damn thing. Mm -hmm. Like those two out there just by themselves may over the course of a year, I think reduce some of that wear and tear. I I, I just hope they they find ways to get. I, Thomas Bryant might not re- rebound and 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 get back to that pre-injury form. I don't know. And you know, Damian Jones rebound literally or figuratively. Figuratively, I don't want it to talk about Damian Jones like he's this hidden all-star. Whatever, it's he's not. But he's <laughs> we're not Anthony Irwin. We're not Anthony. Irwin. <laughs> Uh, but he is he is a, a a he has turned himself into a useful offensive a uh, useful NBA rotation center, you know twenty minute night guy you know deployed properly and all that kind of stuff plus Vandy, so uh, which I respect. So I there's 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 potential there. Um, so let's let's I, I want to ask you this question about Anthony Davis. Uh, I want to get to the Demar stuff if we can. But I, it was this was something that occurred to me about Anthony Davis, and I'll give you time over the break to think about it. Seth Curry, uh, on Media Day, when he was asked about Ben Simmons, said, you know, especially given all of the waves arms about around with Ben Simmons, he's like he's he's underrated at this point, and I happen to agree. I think Ben Simmons has been so universally trashed over the last year that assuming he actually is healthy and engaged. We have forgotten as a sort of collective basketball public just how good a player he is and what a difference maker he can be on that particular team where they don't really need a third scorer. They need a guy who can defend and do all that stuff. Like He, he in theory, is a perfect fit for what they want to do there in, in Brooklyn. I sometimes feel the same about Rudy Gobert, that he gets ragged on to the point where we are losing a little bit of perspective on just how good he is. Absolutely. Is it's not apples to apples. I get that. Is Anthony Davis underrated? Is he overrated? How do you think people think right now of AD kind of along those lines? Because he's received a ton of criticism. And a lot of it, but I, I was just thinking about this um, today and I, I wanted to put that question to you. So we'll do that next. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. 
J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I don't think underrated is the right word for AD, but something sort of feels off. Like I, I heard Seth Curry say that about Simmons, and it immediately got me thinking about Davis. Like, where is he? Like, what is the proper rating at this point? Or, you know, thinking of, of, of Davis in terms of how good he is and what calibrates, because the swings really are big. He is capable of being one of the five best players in the NBA. But for most of his career, he hasn't quite played that way. So I, 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 I don't, where would you kind of place him in that way? You know, it's a hard question, at least to me. No, I actually don't think it's a hard question. I think he's actually very properly rated. He's somebody that collectively we think has a ton of talent, but because of availability issues and to some degree mentality and approach issues, he is not the player that you think he could be at his absolute peak more often, mm -hmm. even though the baseline for AD is still pretty damn good. So I, I yeah, nobody I thinks actually, he sucks. That's right, not my I'm, point. I'm just saying I actually think he's pretty properly rated. But he is at somebody this point, that, should we? So, okay, so the follow up to that would be: at this point, should we stop thinking about him as this sort of potential top five guy, like, and just and understand no, because that the, the can, norm and the baseline for Anthony Davis is fifth is top fifteen, which is still really good, think, but it's not. First I think it depends NBA. on how you're defining this. I mean, yeah. to whatever degree you think it matters in terms of how you're defining this at all in the first place, but I think he is somebody who has top five talent, but for a variety of reasons, it doesn't manifest itself on a regular basis, which, I again, I think is basically the way he's thought about, and I think it's basically accurate. There's this, like, vacuum of... There's this vacuum of absence with skill set in certain respects with Ben Simmons that I think can make it so polarizing. I don't think AD is so much polarizing it as he is frustrating. I think whatever discrepancy there is in agreement with people with where he is, it's more out of frustration than can't figure out what he is. Mm -hmm. Like Rudy Gobert, the debate with him is just, you know, how much does he get played off the floor? With He's obviously very good at what he does. Is what he does worth what Minnesota gave up right. is what he does and, and valuable that's whole, in today's NBA. Right, and that's a whole other thing. No, I that that you summarized it really well. It's it's not a it's not a basketball philosophy question when it comes to Anthony Davis. It is a frustration and performance level. Whereas with those other guys, there's also performance in the playoffs, but a lot of it revolves around larger basketball conversations. So that's a really good way of putting it. It's just something I was thinking of, literally thinking kind of out loud on the show. Um, but I thought it was interesting. Um, DeMar DeRozan, was it with J.J. Redick? Yep. This time? Trolling Lakers he's, fans? He's getting some great guests, J.J. Redick. ESPN gave him a lot of money for a good reason. Um, he's good at this stuff. I agree with you. Um, so he keeps noting that he thought he was going to be a Laker. DeMar DeRozan. DeMar DeRozan did. Um, and and it's very, it's very frustrating, I think, to Lakers fans, because certainly in hindsight, Lakers fans wish that's how it had turned out. Um, 
I, I the one thing that's missing, Andy, every time he does this, and he keeps doing it, and I love DeMar DeRozan, I wish he had come here, um, is how. Like we still haven't gotten a good explanation as to how it was going. To, he was going to be a Laker. I, that's something I pointed out on Twitter at Cam Brothers. Like for all this has been brought up and bandied about by DeRozan, and this is something that he, for whatever reason, wants to keep alive. Because you know, I know Reddick asked him about it, but you know, he could he could easily just be like, "Dude, I've answered this question. Yeah, I thought I was going to be late. I thought I was going to be a Laker." it's been a year now. It's not really that big of a deal. You know, it's not something I think about. Like it's something that he has seemed interested in keeping alive to the point where if I were one of his bulls teammates, I'd be like, dude, we get it. You wanted to go to LA. Like you want to drop this? (laughs) You know, we, we got some serious issues on this team. Lonzo ball may not be available (laughs) for half, if not all the season. Like, can we knock off the whole, you wanted to be a Laker thing, but like the actual how this would have happened has not even been whether you're talking about the parameters of some type of sign and trade deal because the Lakers did not have the money to sign him outright um, or the money that would have been involved, like even broadly has never been clarified at all. And like DeRozan as a sign and trade deal would have been way more complicated to pull off than getting Russ, regardless of how you feel about the Lakers getting Russ. Mm-hmm. Like, and the longer he's gone without sharing any details about how this was going to happen, just he thought it was going to, the less I suspect this was really a thing or that tomorrow. Or like, Rose- I mean, because like this whole notion that he was going to sign here for the uh for the mid-level or something, mini mid-level. I no, I've never no. I've never believed that, you know, at all. I mean, he he got a really big contract and deservedly so nobody gives up that kind of money well i actually i mean he he earned that money last year at a career best year but you may recall when chicago gave him that money people thought they were insane people thought that was a massive right but, but there's a big gap between geez that's a lot for demar Derozan, and he sh- you know he's going to play for the mini mid-level no no but i'm not saying he should have i'm saying people thought that three and 85 was a lot for DeMar DeRozan. Like, it's not like people thought Chicago got him at a steal last year. Oh, no, 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 no. No, I, I understand what you mean there. But, like, even if, like, you think, like, the right number was was $68 million, you know, for DeMar, there's a big difference. Again, and the Lakers couldn't have done that anyway. 12. But the Lakers could have given him, like, 13. That's it. Right. Or, you know, and 15. Or, or what you know. sign and trade, you know, pe- people keep, I've seen a lot of people framing this as if the Lakers just needed to offer the bull, I mean, offer San Antonio the exact same offer that they offered uh, the Wizards for Russ, just, you know, KCP, Kuzma, Montrez Harrell, probably a pick, you know, whatever, and just plug in the same outgoing players and goodies and they get DeMar, no questions asked. It's like, no, what San Antonio wants is not going to automatically, automatically mm-hmm. be the same as what the Wizards wanted. And you have to at least acknowledge that it's not the same thing. It was and it was it was an enormously complicated setup. And yeah, because I, taking in a sign and trade for the Lakers would have triggered a hard cap. It would have been just more complicated. I'm not saying they couldn't have done it, but it would have been very very complicated. And again, the the more this has gone on, that DeRozan does not share at least some framework of what he thought was going to happen. 
the more I think, and this is a weird thing to say about somebody that clearly would know more about this than me, but the more I think he's actually mistaken about how close this was. Or like what it means, like what close meant. Like I think maybe he was close like to the, hey, this could happen. Are you in, are you on board part of well, it? Well, no, no. He said, as opposed to, he said on this podcast, quote, I thought it was a done deal. I took a trip to Mexico just to get away because I could just feel the anticipation of everything. So I was like, I'm going away for a couple of days. Take my mind off it. By the time I get home, it'll be free agency sign with the Lakers. I'm sleep one morning in Mexico. I get a call from Kyle Lowry. He said, they just made the deal for Russ. What's going on? I thought the deal was for you to go to the Lakers. And I'm like confused. I'm looking at my phone like, damn, that did happen. So I guess that's out the window. So in his mind, if nothing else, like he said, he was behind the eight ball, like in free, in mm-hmm. that off season. Cause he's like, where the hell am I going to go? I thought I was going to Lakers. So I, he clearly thought he was going, I just wonder if I just, I, I, I wonder I if he's know, mistaken. I need to know what San Antonio was willing to take or what right. deal would have been constructed out there. I wish, Cause look, I mean, if that comes out, if there, if we ever get some kind of like real illustration of like what was available, now. I happen to agree with you. I think we would have seen that information. Like this is what they passed up. That would create all kinds of potential uh, controversy for general manager Rob Palinka, depending on the terms of of that. Um, anyway, so uh, all right, weekend's coming up. Lakers will be back on the floor. They did not practice on Thursday, but they'll be back on the floor getting ready for next week's first preseason games, Andy. Um, they're already playing basketball. It's very exciting. Can't come soon enough. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you go to see the podcast. Everybody have a great weekend. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.